So far in this series of messages, we talked first about compromise. We've been digging into David's downfall. And a couple of weeks ago, we looked at this whole idea of compromise. If we want to honor the Lord as holy, in our hearts as holy, and, and, and give a defense, and be willing to suffer for um, the good things that we do, then it has to be in response to him. And, we, and, and so the first part of this was about compromise, when David sinned instead of obeying God. Did you know that David never set out to sin? It was not in his mind. He, would, he didn't determine that. He, he didn't set out to disobey God's commands. He didn't set out to defy God's authority. He didn't set out to dishonor God. That was not on his agenda for the day. He didn't set out to do any of that, and yet he did. And in most, most times, we don't set out to do anything in disobedience to God either. So turn your Bible to 2 Samuel chapter 11. We're going to look at a few verses before we get to consequences. 2 Samuel chapter 11. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. So where was David supposed to be? Out in the battle, leading the armies. Where was David? At home in Jerusalem in the palace. He stayed home when he should have been leading his army against God's enemies. The, the Bible does not tell us the why behind the what. But it got me thinking, I wonder what it was. when Because David had been so faithful in serving God and, and leading the armies of God against God's enemies. What was it about this particular time that caused him to stay at home? You know, there are a lot of things that uh, we can choose to do that, ju- that we can justify as legitimate when in reality it's a sin. What if David, he's older now, so he's got a couple of decades under his belt. He's been fighting wars for all of that time. What if he had an injury? And he just decided, you know, I got to nurse this injury back. You know, they, I got a chiropractor appointment this week. You know, I can't lead the armies of God out there. I, I, you know, I just, or, or, or maybe he thought, I, you know, I just need a couple of mental health days. I can't be out there doing this, you know, nonstop. I just, I, and, and maybe he made all of these kinds of excuses. But there's never a good reason to disobey God. There's never a good reason to be someplace that God doesn't want you. God wanted him out leading the, the armies of God. Instead, he stayed back. And in staying back, um, he made himself vulnerable. And as a result, verse 2, he is not happy. He's not content. He appears to be bored or restless or, or something's going on. And so verse 2, it says, It happened one, late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house. So where was he supposed to be? At battle. He wasn't even supposed to be home. And now he finds, he gets up off his, which, you know, it could have been eating, could have been taking a nap. We don't know what he was doing. But he was walking around restless and bored. And follow me here. Because he wasn't where God wanted him to be, he wasn't with the presence of God. 
God wanted him to be out there. And so he had pulled himself away from the presence of God. When we disobey God, we pull ourselves away from God's controlling presence. And so he's wandering around. He, does it, he, he just appears to be with nothing to do. And I don't know who came up with idle hands are the devil's workshop, but they were pretty accurate, right? Because it, we, we allow ourselves to be vulnerable when we're not about what God wants us to be about. Every time that we're not walking in step with God, we make ourselves vulnerable. And now here David is, and the devil's licking his chops because he knows that, De- that David is in a vulnerable place. Second part of uh, verse 2, it says, And he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. So he's vulnerable, he's weak, he's not walking in step with the presence of God, he has lost perspective, and now he's losing strength. He should have walked away at that point, but because he's vulnerable and he's weak, he didn't. Verse 3, And David sent and inquired about the woman. At that point, David was done. He was done. He had already stepped on the slippery slope. And one, and, and one said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers, took her, and she came to him, and she lay, and he lay with her. He saw Bathsheba, he sent for her, and because he had power, he made choices that were against God. Did it ever, it never says anything in here that he consulted God. Never said he was in a worship mood, he never... He never asked God anything because we know when God, if we're headed in the wrong direction, we know if we ask God, he's going to say no. And sometimes we're just so hard headed. We want to do what we want to do. We don't care what else is happening around us. And he had the power to do it. Last week, we looked at this idea of confrontation. So it starts with compromise and then it moved to confrontations when sin was pointed out. David made it worse when he found out Bathsheba was pregnant Instead of coming clean, he arranged for her husband to be killed. And Nathan the prophet confronted David. Jump down to 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 7 to 9. Nathan said to David, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 7. Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. I am on your, verse eight um, haunts me every time because he's, he's saying, I am on your side, David. I have called you. I want you to have the things that you need. If, if it was too little, instead of going after what you want in your own way and, and uh, allowing it to lead you into sin, just come to me and I will provide you with what really satisfies. But he had gone his own way. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and you have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. And so he compromised by being where he shouldn't have been, by being vulnerable, and, fought, and instead of walking in step with the Holy Spirit. And then he doesn't, even, he doesn't even understand. There's no record of him going to worship during this time, or trying to follow God. He's just oblivious to what he's done. He's blind to what he's, he's doing. Now, we're not like that, are we? 
It's possible to get, and we talked about that last week, confrontation. Now we want to move to consequences. The third part in, in this account is that we need to accept that there are costs for our sin. As Samuel confronted him, David confessed his sin. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 10. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house, says Nathan to David, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. He has despised God by turning his back on God and doing what he wanted to do. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it in secret, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. So David confesses. And when I was originally working on this series of messages, I was going to have it go compromise, confrontation, confession, and then consequences. But the Bible passage talks about consequences before it talks about confession. So we're following the path of the, the Bible sequence and we're talking about consequences. So David says, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan, and Nathan said to David, the Lord has put away your sin. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. You shall not die. Never again do we, do we hear um, God reference this sin with Bathsheba against David. He forgives. And as we, as we saw in the scripture in Psalm 103, he removes it as far as the east is from the west. He doesn't mention it anymore. He's forgiven. But there are consequences. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house and the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David and he became sick. Next week, we will take an in-depth look at this whole idea that we are forgiven, but there are consequences. And that's where I thought we were headed today. But as I dug into this, I think before we go there, we need to understand what the consequences that Jesus has taken for us. Look at verse 13, the end of verse 13 again. Nathan said to David, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. You shall not die. Let's take a look at this. David's journey from being in step with God to out of step is the bullet point that you have there. David didn't end up where he was with Bathsheba overnight. If you remember a, way, uh, a number of weeks ago, we started this whole series with con contrasting David with Saul. I, I don't remember how we got there, but that's where God <laughs> seemed to be leading us. And, so, and, and what we saw from David is he shows up when Saul, who should be fighting Goliath, but isn't, but David shows up as a teenager and is so and is filled with the spirit of God and the boldness of God 
And the alignment with God and the presence of God that has been developed in those years with the sheep out there, with he and God, this intimacy, and then the Holy Spirit comes upon him, and he fights Goliath, and he kills him. And then, um, and then later on, David is, is pointed out as the king. Saul doesn't want to give up his kingdom, so David has to go on the run. And so for about seven years, David is on the run from Saul. He had several opportunities to kill Saul. And get the because he's been told he's he's supposed to be the king. Saul is is disobedient. The spirit of God has left him. He has several opportunities, and he's so filled with Holy Spirit that he has the Spirit's perspective. And he says, "No, I will not put my hand on the anointed of God. That's God's business. I am not doing that." So here we have David, hero, fighting Goliath, hero following God, even when it's hard. He was on the run. It was hard, hard, hard. And he's on the run, but he's willing to do that. And then a few years later, we come to David and Bathsheba. How do you move from being that kind of passionate follower, fighter for God, to staying home, wandering around on your roof, and you see something you like, and you just take it? It happens when we turn our back on God, when we begin to move. And we don't turn. Usually it's not, I'm going to turn my back on God. It's just this trajectory. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm just not going to go. I'm going to, I just want to stay. I, want, I need a vacation. I'm going to stay home instead of going to be where he was. So David's journey from in step with God to out of step with God was this gradual process. Now I want you to listen to me. I don't care how intimate you are with God right now. That's the devil's plan that he's working against you. He wants to take you out and he will do it one incremental step at a time. And I've watched it. You, you, you know, those people made fun of me when they were up here about how old I am now and how long I've been in ministry and how many... What, I, how, I don't even know where you got those statistics. I, can't, I don't even have those. Yeah, of course. Oh, you're going to feed me? I'll give you all the information you want. <laughs> you know, I'm sure it was. <laughs> I've watched it. I've watched it over and over again. And I've been on the precipice because it only takes one wrong choice to begin down the wrong road. The next bullet point is about David's choices and consequences. Look at verse 9 again. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 9. When Nathan is confronting David, hear, hear what he asks him. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? Now, what, did he, what has he done? He has um, committed adultery with Bathsheba, and he's killed her husband. But the word comes from God. Why have you despised the word of the Lord? When we make choices to do what we want to do, even if it doesn't appear to be anything spiritual, it is despising God. It is disobeying Him. It is defying His authority in our lives. And it is dishonoring Him in this earthly realm and in the heavenly realm. David disobeyed God. And the penalty that he deserved, look down at verse 13 again, the last part of the verse. Nathan said to David, the Lord has put away your sin, you shall not die. The penalty that David should have experienced was death and separation from God. 
That's what he, because he disobeyed God's clear command. And he was put in a position of authority as king, as, as God's representative in Israel. You shall not die. It's, and it's the penalty we all deserve. It's the consequence of our sinfulness is death. We deserve physical and spiritual death. And every, every moment God is working in our lives and drawing us to himself is purely because of who he is, not because of who we are. We deserve death. God's saving grace and mercy. What we deserve is God's justice. God's justice is giving to us what we deserve. And because of Adam and Eve's sin, we have been given a sinful, self-focused nature so that if we live to a place where we can uh, understand right from wrong, every single person, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all decide to choose against God. And God's justice says that sin is, deserves death. The penalty of sin, the payment for sin, God's justice is death. That's what we deserve. What we are offered is God's mercy. Mercy is not receiving what we deserve. And so out of his mercy, you hear, you hear the, the words mercy and grace oftentimes connected because mercy is instead of receiving death, Jesus receives it. Grace is getting what we don't deserve, and that is eternal life and his presence in our lives. We deserve death. I am blown away. As I said at the beginning of the service, I am blown away. The closer I get to God, the more intimate of I, 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 my relationship with God, the clearer I see all that I deserve in penalty for my sin and all that God pours out to me in what I don't deserve. God could have just said, okay, I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. Jesus will die and I'll take care of it and just exercise mercy. And, and, and we live on the other side of, of town and God lives over here and, and he just doesn't kill us. But he says, no, that's not good enough. I created you because I want and intimacy with you. And now I want to pour out on you everything that you don't deserve. So David did not die, but he's going to reap a lot of consequences. Psalm 103, verse 10. I put it in your outline there. Um, in, in, this is, uh, in the NIV, it says, He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities, our, the things that we've done wrong. He doesn't treat us that way. He doesn't treat us at... He did. Ephesians chapter 2, turn in your Bible there, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, and then we're going to be, and then we're going to look at um, a couple of scriptures in Romans chapter 5, if you want to stick your finger in there. So Romans, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 to 14. And again, my hope is that you catch an understanding, a little bit deeper understanding of all that God has done. 
And it will cause you to recognize that he took the consequences for our sin so that every moment we have relationship with him, every moment we are not killed, every moment that we don't go to hell is simply because somebody else planted the garden. It was nothing that we came up with, nothing that we've done, nothing that we deserve. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 to 14. Remember that at that time you were separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Here he's talking to Gentiles. Strangers to the covenant of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That was our condition. That is every person's condition that is born. We are without God and without hope. There's nothing we can do to be saved. Nothing. Our hopelessness in our, situa- in, in our sinfulness. We are without Christ and without hope. We um, watch our... Didn't I tell you I was... Uh, I have grandkids now. I, I don't know. <laughs> We get to watch our grandson Brody, our five-year-old, before he goes to afternoon kindergarten two days a week. And so um, one day we got a phone call at about the time they were supposed to be arriving, and our daughter Carissa says, hey, uh, I got a flat tire. Can you come pick up the boys while I wait for AAA to come up? And they were just around the corner. Sheila ran, got them. She pulled in the driveway, and I went out to the driveway to help get the two-year-old out of the, out of the car seat. And Brody hopped out of the car, five years old. He goes... Mommy had a flat tire. Oops. Mommy had a flat tire. She had to call Chick-fil-A. <laughs> and Sheila and I did exactly that. <laughs> we looked at them and we go, I think it's triple A. I don't think Chick I th- I think I don't think they can wrap chickens around that rim and get you home. And I thought trying to solve the situation, our desperate situation with sin, would be like trying to call triple, try, trying to call Chick-fil-A when you need somebody to change your tire. One of my favorite words in the Bible, and one of my, and, and one of my non-favorite words in the Bible is the same. It's the word, but. Ephesians chapter 2, having no hope, at the end of verse 12, having no hope and without God in the world, in the world, verse 13, but that is a hopeful word. We were without hope, we were without God, and there was nothing we could do, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near to the, by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He cancels out the debt. He takes care of the sin problem. Who has made both us, both Gentiles and Jews, one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. We are without hope and without God. But Jesus. And that's what, at the cross, at the cross. At the cross. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? We were without hope. Romans chapter 5. Flip over there. Romans chapter 5, verses 8 to 10. Here it is again. 
Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But. He's been talking about our situation. But. God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, when we were without hope, without God, without anything we could do, Christ died for us. We experienced the consequences of Jesus' death instead of the consequences of our sin. Since therefore, verse 9, we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were his enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. We deserve death. And he gives us mercy and grace. He didn't just wipe away our guilt. He pours out true sonship, true daughtership. Romans 8.32, that great chapter in, in the Bible in Romans chapter 8 where it talks about he works all things for good. The Spirit's interceding for us. Jesus is interceding for us. And in verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God not only cancels our debt through Jesus, but he raises us to life by his resurrection. And then he gives us himself through the spirit that came at Pentecost so that his spirit living within us provides the satisfaction, the peace, the joy, the comfort, the confidence, all the things that we long for, all the things that, that we were born to experience. Graciously, he, he marshals all the resources of heaven for, on, uh, for our, our benefit. And so when Nathan says to David, I gave you all of these things, and if you had just asked me, I would have given you more. Anytime you are tempted, anytime you are facing sin, anytime you want to go your own way, and you think you, you're in essence saying you know better than God because he's not giving me this, so I'm going to try to find it. I'm going to try to find pleasure or satisfaction or possessions or, or the, the things that I think that I, I, I need and deserve. What you're saying is you don't trust God and you don't understand that he has all the resources of heaven to provide that which you really want. Because that stuff you're chasing is not going to be satisfying. So when David called Bathsheba and slept with her, it did not satisfy. For a moment, it was pleasurable, but it didn't satisfy. It just wreaked havoc in his life from there, there on. And that's what sin does in our lives. Just a little bit of trajectory is saying, God, I don't try. And he goes, no, 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 no. Like, like a loving parent or a loving grandfather. He goes, no, no, no. Don't run out into the street where you think you want. I've got so much more for you. So the next time you're tempted and, and you want to go your own way or you don't want to spend time with him like that, you know that he wants, just stop and realize you've got the God of the universe on your side who wants to pour out into your life that which satisfies. But the devil lies to us. And that's why Jesus says that the road is wide for people who are not going to accept this because they have been deceived by the devil. I don't know what the inner conversation was with David when he was walking around on the roof and, and he saw Bathsheba. But the temptation of the devil goes, you deserve that. Go after that. And if he had just turned to God, he would, he would have discovered God saying, no, no, no. 
That is a poisonous snake that looks like Bathsheba. And that's what we're going to look at next week. And so where we're headed next time is David was forgiven. You shall not die. But what we see on either side of that statement are consequences that will destroy his life. He doesn't lose the kingdom. He, uh, it's put on hiatus for a while because his son rebels against him. He ends up with incestuous relationships between his daughter and his, his, his son who rapes his daughter and then another son kills that son. And then he, he's chased out of his kingdom and one of his sons actually sleeps with his wives as Nathan has predicted. All of that because he turned away in that moment. We deserve death. And God gives us life through the death of Jesus Christ. We deserved hell. And God offers to us an eternity in heaven that is beyond our wildest hopes and dreams. Not because of anything that we've done, but because of his death, his resurrection, his spirit. Would you bow your heads? Again, my hope is that you leave here with a deeper appreciation of the consequences that Jesus took for you. Every drop of blood, every moment of pain should have been ours when he went to the cross. And he took it so that we won't have to. And then he says, "How I gave you my son. How will I not also give you all things? that will provide you life abundantly. So what, I don't know what you might be dealing with. Maybe it's just kind of, your relationship with God is kind of kicked into neutral and you're just kind of taking things for granted. Maybe that's what God wants is to give you that deeper recognition and understanding and appreciation and love for him. Maybe you're walking around on the roof and you're peering over the edge to see what might be there. And God's saying, no, 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 no. That's, that's a lie. I've got so much more for you. What I know after all these years of living with him and being in ministry is there is no greater pleasure than being in relationship with God. It's not easy. But the soul satisfaction is beyond compare. In this quiet moment, would you just put yourself in God's hands and say, God, I will walk in step with you. If there's something in particular I need to turn away, surrender that. If you, your relationship with God is kind of neutral, surrender that and ask him to kick it into high gear. Lord, I pray that you would give us greater understanding and glimpses every day in the depth of your love, your care, your work for us. Whatever it takes, God. 
you know, as your and as Psalm 103 said, you know that we're dust, we're breath, we're nothing, and yet you love us. Help us to lean into that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.